Today's reading is Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King's Quest students, you can head to the lobby and find your teachers, and the rest of you may be seated. Well, well hello. Hello, Daniel. How are you? I'm doing well. Hi, Grace. Uh, so we're <laughs> going to try something new, uh, and we're going to talk together, right? That's yes. what we talked about? Absolutely. All right. So here we go. We're going to do it. <laughs> what would you have done if I said no? I honestly probably would have just walked down because I just thought, well, okay, then it's you. It's all on you. Yeah. Go for it. That's probably what I would have thought. Well, so far, so good. Yep. Awesome. I think it's your turn now. It is. Okay. Yep. So uh, there is something that's just really, really good about the authenticity of brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ and, and being together and being together with you guys, uh, walking through this series, uh, talking about this story of scripture, um, this story that for those of us in the room and on the live stream who would call ourselves Christians, we, uh, we believe strongly in this story. We submit ourselves to this story and more than just the story, the person who is revealed in and through this story, um, namely Jesus, um, God, the father, the spirit spirit who is at work in and through this story in and through us. And so we're thankful, um, to be kind of on the, on the, the tail end of this, uh, we're going to wrap up the story this week and next week we're going to kind of talk about the, so what, what do we do with this story? But before we do that, we just want to recap, where have we been? We started a few weeks, a few weeks ago now in the beginning in creation, and we saw that God created all things. God spoke all things into being, and God said that everything he made was good. All of the physical creation, the stuff of this earth that God made, he said was really, really good. And then when he made um, humanity, when he made Adam and Eve, he said it is very good. It is very good. And so we see in these early um, lines of scripture in the beginning of Genesis that God made man and woman and, and he created them in the image of God. There is something about who we are that is like God. And that gives worth and value to every single person. Every fellow image bearer that you will meet, no matter how similar they are to you or how different they are to you, there is worth and value in everyone. And we talked about throughout church history how when the church uh, understands this, this propels us to incredible acts of generosity, incredible acts of service, incredible acts of honoring the, the image bearerness in the other. 
And we talked about how um, because God is so big and we reflect him as his people, then every culture can reflect what God is like. We need this diversity of cultures to get a more accurate reflection of who God is because God is so big, so infinite, so majestic, so, so transcendent. Uh, we talked about lots of things. We talked about this creation, this uh, creation-making mandate, culture-making mandate um, that God told us to go create, to go fill the earth, to go subdue it, to create all the good things of earth. And you guys are, are getting to know me, so you know all of my uh, good thing illustrations were food-related. Right, go fill the earth with good things like barbecue and and sushi and pizza and all of the good stuff of different cultures. And then we got to week two, and we saw that uh, although God made everything good, that sin has distorted everything. And you guys uh, got a little peek of my incredible artistic abilities, where I, I made the stick figure right with all the arrows to represent all the different relationships um, that we have. Right, there's a relationship with God, and as sin entered the, the world, we see this relationship with God being distorted, uh, where man and woman used to walk with God in the cool of the day, now they're hiding from God. We see the relationship with one another, right? Adam and Eve used to have openness and, and transparency and vulnerability in their relationship. Now there's shame, there's fear, there's blame shifting, there's hiding, right? They're trying to make these clothes out of fig leaves to cover up their nakedness from one another. We see the relationship with the physical creation is distorted. Now there's thorns and thistles in work. Now there's pain in childbearing. Even in our physical bodies, we feel the brokenness of, uh, of sin, that you know, my knee is not supposed to click when I move it, right? My, my finger that I injured is not supposed to hurt when the weather changes. That's not how God created it. And I know some of you guys can identify with some of those things, right? Um, then we see the relationship with self. Where there used to be uh, flourishing in, in the relationship with self, now there is this distorted relationship. So we see the fear, we see the guilt, we see the shame, we see the blame shifting going on, all of these things. And we talked about as it, all of these represent our individual relationships. But as um, communal people who are commanded to go out and create cultures, we understand that sin has not only corrupted individuals, but cultures as well. We talked about through the biblical story how we see this cultural idolatry. Another word that we could use would be systemic injustice. We see this in Pharaoh as he enslaves God's people, as he creates a system to sacrifice, the, to kill their, baby, their babies, right? As he creates this system of slavery that says, no, you need to make bricks with less time and more effort, and, and it's oppressive, it's unjust, we see this throughout Israel's history as they're commanded to be this, this nation that's a light to the other nations, that welcomes in the stranger, the, the, the uh, widow, the orphan that provides for them. And when Israel gets it right, it's this beautiful picture of God's hospitality, of God's generosity, of God's justice. But there's times that they get it wrong. There's times that they fall into the idolatry of the nations around them and set up these systems of idolatry that tell people not to worship who God is, but to worship false gods, to go so far as to sacrifice their, their, their children for the promise of uh, increased financial blessings, right? They'd get good crops, they've had more babies, they'd have all these promises that never, that never come to be when the people turn their eyes, their obedience and their worship away from the true God. And so they are sent as this people who are to declare what God is like through their words and through their actions and through the cultures that they create. And God is patient. 
And God reminds them. God sends prophets to remind them of their true identity. And sometimes they get it right, but most of the time uh, they don't. Until we get to this point in their history when it, it seems like all hope is lost. But as Daniel reminded us, God sent Jesus who could fully fulfill and embody the law, who was this perfect reflection and representation of who God is because he is in himself fully God and fully man. See these beautiful words in the beginning of John that God put on flesh and dwelt among us. Or as Eugene Peterson likes to say, God moved into the neighborhood. I love that image. God moved into the neighborhood and fulfilled the law, did what Israel couldn't. God moved into the neighborhood and provided glimpses of what things were supposed to be like, what things will be like, as we'll talk about today in this coming kingdom. Jesus provided these little windows or these snapshots of what this kingdom is like. So in the kingdom, there is no sickness. So Jesus healed the sick. In the kingdom, there's no demonic oppression. So Jesus casted out demons as he went along. In the kingdom, there's full justice. So Jesus pushed his people towards systems of justice. In the kingdom, there's intimacy with God. So he provided a way for us to be close to God once again. In the kingdom, there's no barriers. God is fully present with his people. And so we see in this perfect life, death, and resurrection, a, a, a sacrifice is made for God's people so that they could fully enter into relationship with God, one day to be fully realized in this coming kingdom. And as Jesus ascended and, and sent the spirit, which we celebrated on, on Pentecost, he sends his people out, the church, us to be salt and light from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, even Long Beach, California. And here we are today, still called to be salt and light, still called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, not perfectly, but attempting to offer these images, these snapshots, these windows of what this coming kingdom will be like. And so today we get to talk about this coming kingdom. And this is my transition to Daniel. Thank you. Anytime. Uh, one of the things, Will, that uh, I really appreciated, I think, going back to how you described the fall and or the fallout and what happens is this sense that, that it's not just simply, yes, individuals have been distorted in a way in their, all these different relationships, but also these communities, which means that the, the redemption and the, that's needed is so massive, like it, it is in such a huge, huge thing of what's required that we couldn't possibly do it. Like we, we needed this external, this God coming to us to give his whole and complete self so that these things would, would be restored. And so as we turn the page this morning to looking at the end of the story, we heard it read this morning, but I'd like to look through it again in Revelation 21, so you can actually open up in the Blue Bibles or an app and go to Revelation 21, because the image that's given to us is this remarkable image, and if you've been around grace for any period of time, this is not new. This is something we talk about, and we talk about it because it's so fundamental to how we imagine ourselves to be the church now, and what God has done, is doing, and will completely do one day, this idea of restoration and this picture and this glimpse of restoration. 
And I just realized, as I was saying all that, that we've been terrible hosts, because some of you may not even know who we are. Um, and so, I'm Daniel Long, I'm one of the pastors here, and... Will Vakurvich. Will Vakurvich. So if you're here, this is your first time, that's who we are. Uh, we're two of the three lead pastors. Beth Balmer is also a lead pastor with us, and we're just grateful that you found this community and grateful that you can be worshiping with us uh, this morning. But Revelation 21. So there's this amazing image. Then I, John, is writing this apocalyptic vision. So this, the idea of this apocalyptic vision means this, that this author is trying to, or he's had, the curtain pulled back. The, reality, the curtain of reality has been pulled back to see what's actually going on. So in some ways, this gets confusing in how we think about Revelation. Is this future things? Is this trying to actually talk about the present? The answer to that is yes. It's both... An, an actual acknowledgement of what's happening and what's operating now at present in the world, but also this glimpse into what the future will be. Revelation 21 becomes a glimpse of that future. So John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, and I love that, see, look out, watch. The home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. So as we push toward this glimpse of the restoration of all things, when God finally makes all things new, what we get is a glimpse of God coming to us, to dwell with us. Because God, if we know the story of scripture, God is a God who wants to dwell with the things that he has made, namely people whom he has made in his image. God is going to dwell with us. We, those who are following Jesus, those who have put our trust in the lordship of Christ, will become his people God will become our God. And then, if it couldn't get any more intimate or close, because God and his proximity is so central to the narrative, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. So the God of the universe who created all things, humanity has distorted the good that's been created. We are the cause for the tears in the world, in this glimpse of the new creation, God himself comes down to be our God. We are his people, and he will wipe every tear away. The hand of God becomes the wiper of tears. The one who created all the things that you can't help but look at and say, wow, is the one who wants to get so close to us that he will wipe away every tear. And then it just keeps going. And yes, it keeps getting better. Death will be no more. So the idea of death itself is gone. Like we will not have euphemisms like they passed away or they went to be with the Lord. We won't have any need for them because to speak of death would be to speak of something other than the restoration of all things. 
death itself has died. It is gone. It is no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. So all of our tears will be wiped away by the hand of God who's made all things. The idea of death is something that we can't even recall because it's not even a thing that exists. And then the things that come by way of what sin has created, mourning and crying and pain, gone. I mean, the things that Will was talking about, the things that are glimpses to us or reminders every day that things are not the way they're supposed to be is no more. We will not talk about this is not the way things are supposed to be. We can only talk about and we'll only talk about, isn't this incredible? Isn't this amazing? Look who we are with. Look who is with us. Our tears have been wiped away. Death is no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. It sounds too good to be true. And without God, it it completely and wholly is too good to be true. And so on the face of it, this scripture is telling us what will be, but this is also trying to do something else. It's not just trying to describe what things will be like, but it's actually also trying to do something and stir within us an imaginative idea of what might be possible. It's supposed to evoke something within us to say, all of the things that we know are glimpses and distortions of how things should be, we are starting to, or we are, this is wanting to pull us into thinking about what would a world be like without that? What would a world be like without the news? Because there is no need for news if most of the things on the news are all of the ways that things are not supposed to be. What will that world be like to not need to hear or grieve or lament shootings or racism or the call from a family member that says, do you know so-and-so? They are no longer with us. Or son or daughter, I need to tell you something. I've been diagnosed with cancer. I mean, imagine those phone calls, those glimpses, those images on the television, the news that we are so accustomed to will not be. It will no longer be. And so this text is also telling us what it will be like, but in the present, it's, it's wanting to stir within us our imaginations. Oh, what, were the, what will the world be like? What will my world, our world, this world, 2022 be like when God makes all things new? When God comes to dwell, when God wipes away every tear, when mourning and crying and pain are no longer, what will that world be like? Well, we're not gonna tell you what that world is going to look like because we're gonna let some brothers and sisters from this congregation tell you. So we asked a few people from this congregation to answer this this question. What might it look like in the new heaven and new earth when things are restored, when our relationship with God is restored, when our relationship to others is restored, when our relationship to physical creation is restored, when our relationship to our own selves is restored, when our relationship to systems and structures is restored. So you're gonna watch a video for the next seven minutes of people answering this question 
And what I hope it does for you is what the text is wanting to do is to stir your own imaginations and how you would answer that question. So be thinking about that as well. How might I answer this question if I was asked? So, video. So two pictures come to mind. The first is getting to play catch with my kids. I love playing catch with them. It is one of the few moments where we get to put our phone aside, uh, all distractions, no email, and it is just simply enjoying their presence, and I, I just love it. Uh, the second thing that came to my mind is a scene from The Great Divorce. Uh, it takes place in sort of these heavenly places, and those who have been faithful followers of Jesus have this glory to them, this beauty that when they pass by there, something to behold, something to take in, it almost uh, drops people's jaws. And yet they are just a, a small glimpse of the majesty of, and the beauty of God. And so I don't know how these work together, but I imagine the restored relationship is that sense of enjoying the other, that playing catch, but that we have this renewed sense of being able to take in all of who God is, uh, this beauty that is unfathomable and incomparable, and yet in doing so, feel at complete ease. Not self-conscious, not full of guilt, not full of shame, but simply enjoying His presence. There's something so beautiful in when you're looking in Genesis, before there were the brokenness and before the fall, Adam and Eve were in the garden. It says that they were naked and unashamed. There was a tremendous sense of freedom in that this is who I am. This is, this is, there is nothing to hide. There is a complete freedom in, in being able to love and receive one another not this highly edited version, masked, clothed side of ourselves, but, but, but someone who's like, hey, this is who I am, and I can let myself be loved, and I can love you where you are. That's what we get to experience in a new creation. And I think that's something we can start to lean into now, as we are able to risk and trust the Spirit of God and lean into these relationships to begin to to, be, to practice vulnerability, to practice honesty, to practice um, kinship, to practice um, being directed by the Spirit of God and saying there's, there's nothing off limits here, right? That's, that's how it was with Adam and Eve in the garden. There's nothing off limits. It was, there, was a, there was joy and delight and wonder. So we get to do that today. I get to do that today. We get to ask the Spirit of God, Lord, who do I get to love today? Where do I get to be seen and known today? Who can I pursue today with you? Well, we're doing this together. to think about our relationship with creation, how unique it is that God gave us to have dominion over it and subdue it. And those can be negative things, but we've done a lot with creation. We've built 
um, all kinds of things. We've taken the trees that he gave us and used the wood to build awesome things. And in the new creation, I think we'll still get to do that. We won't just go back to the Garden of Eden and be naked all the time, but we'll get to continue creating and expand on what we've already done. It's not going to be a full reset. So it's exciting to think about the new creation and how we can um, correct the mistakes that we've made with our creation. In Daniel chapter 4, we read that it happened at once. Nebuchadnezzar was driven out of human company, ate grass like an ox, and was soaked in heaven's dew. His hair grew like the feathers of an eagle, and his nails like the claws of a hawk. But at the end of seven years, Nebuchadnezzar says, I looked to heaven, I was given my mind back, and I blessed the high God, thanking and glorifying God who lives forever. In my addiction, I lost myself. I lost my mind. I lost my relationship with my body. I couldn't function in fellowship. I even lost my rhythm. I couldn't dance anymore. God has restored the locust-eaten years of my addiction, and he has given me life back. Life back, not just whole, but better than before, like the Japanese art form, taking a broken piece and putting it back together that, so that it's stronger than before. In the cracks, you can see where it was mended, in my cracks, God has filled up those gaps and allows me to live, to laugh, to dance again in full fellowship with you. So when I think about the restoration and reconciliation of systems and structures, and I look at the story of creation, and I listen to the words of the prophets, and I look at the New Testament, and I read Revelation, I think a lot about how a lot of our current reality is going to shift. I think about how systems and structures won't be about asserting or accumulating power, but about distributing and centering justice and righteousness. I look at the dismantling of systems of advantage and disadvantage based on race, based on income, or any other marker that we think is valuable. And I think about how in its place, we're gonna celebrate culture and diversity as expressions of Imago Dei and as beauty. And I think about how systems and structures that right now, the criteria for belonging is exclusivity and sometimes dismissiveness. And I look instead at how God is invitational and inclusive in his story and in his city. And the belonging comes from having an identity in him. And so ultimately, when I think about the restoration of systems and structures, I look at the universal human flourishing that's pictured in creation being restored in the new creation. Come on. Man. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, very powerful. And I think our work is done. That's what it feels like. It's like, I don't know what, I mean, it's, everybody said what should be said. And, um, I mean, I keep thinking of, like, so many different parts. I think of the freedom, and I think that word came up quite a few times, because we think about and imagine what the new creation will look like, is there's this incredible freedom 
uh, that we will experience, that, and that evokes something, some longing and desire within me. This sense of, I think, Paul, you said it, it's like that we won't have our highly edited versions of ourselves. We won't be receiving the highly edited version of others, and I won't be giving the highly edited version of myself. Uh, Jen, I was, uh, I was amazed by the thought of it not being a full reset, but that the work we do now is pulled forth and will continue in the new creation. Ursula, Ursula. The locust-eaten years of lives being redeemed. Man, thank you for that image. That's, that's beautiful. I'm grateful to God for, for your words and for your life. And Nader, I, the, um, that sense of, of things not being about power or grabbing or hoarding, but about this idea of something being the center of, of justice and righteousness and, and then being somehow working itself out in actual ways within the world. I love that picture. Thank you for that. I mean, I just, there's so many parts of, the, of your words that, that were so meaningful to me. I remember um, when I was early in my faith coming to church and trying to make sense of all the things that are said at church that you're like, what does that mean? And I remember somebody talking about how in heaven we'll just worship God. And in my mind, I'm like, we're just gonna stand around singing? Like, I mean, for a few minutes, that's fine, but like forever? You're obviously not a singer. I'm sure. <laughs> it's true, it's true. But you start to hear imaginations like this. And it's like, how could we not worship? Right? I, I think about what you shared with like the news, you know, and there's this phenomenon called doom scrolling where we will scroll for news articles that are just like the worst for some reason. And I wonder what that would be like if instead of doom scrolling, there's like praise scrolling. Like we just hear news story after news story of restoration, of the way things ought to be, of flourishing in relationships with God, of flourishings in relationships with someone else, of flourishings in relationship with creation and with self and with systems and structures and flourishing and flourishing and flourishing and those moments where you can't help but praise God over and over and over. Like, ah, oh, what a gift. What a gift. You know, you know those moments like um, I'm not an outdoorsman, but there's been a few times when I've gone backpacking and you have like the heavy backpack and you hike for a long time. And, and there's that moment when you take it off and you have the realization of like, oh, that was heavy, but I've just become numb to it. I imagine that moment <laughs> forever of oh, sin was so heavy in ways I didn't even realize because it was just part of the air that we breathe. And that sense of relief and release and exhale. Oh, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. And so we know that all of you have your own sense of how you might respond or imagine or answer that question. So we actually wanna give you a couple moments. All right. Uh, <clears throat> it's really good to hear these conversations continue. Like this is what the prayer has been, right? That this would stoke imaginations and people would want to share what came to them and that's what you guys are doing. So we're thankful for that. If you notice at the bottom of the screen uh, behind us, 
There's a line that says email responses to intouch at gracelb.org. We would love to hear from you. We would love to hear what images came to mind, what thoughts, what hopes. Um, so you can email those to us. And the idea is we're gonna collect your responses and then share those out on social media along with the video kind of throughout the week so that folks who weren't able to attend today, can they can have their imaginations stirred as well. So we're really thankful for you guys, for the way the spirit is at work in each of you and, and through what's being revealed to you and what you'll share with us in advance. Thank you for that. Um, one of the images that comes to mind for me in this, kind of the so what of restoration, is that we get to be so stirred by what is promised, so full of hope by what is promised in this story that we believe and in which we find ourselves, that we get to start to embody this. And one of the images that I love is, um, I, I have friends who talk about being a pink spoon people. Now that may sound really confusing unless you've ever been to Baskin Robbins, right? You can hear when people get it. At Baskin Robbins, they have 31 flavors and you can walk in and ask for a taste of any flavor and they will get a tiny plastic pink spoon and dip it in the ice cream and hand it over the counter to you and you get to taste this ice cream. You get a sample, you get a glimpse of what this could feel like, could, it, what your experience would be like if you get the double scoop on the waffle cone or whatever you choose. There's something about the taste that's so compelling when you get the sweetness of it that you want to buy more, you want to commit. Church, that's who we're called to be. We're called to be the sample that is so sweet in the lives of those to whom Jesus calls us that they can't help but buy the double scoop. They can't help but show up. They can't help but be welcomed into our community. They cannot help but fall in love with our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, this is who you are. You are a pink spoon people who are sent out into your neighborhoods, into the families, into the jobs that God has called you to to give them a taste of the sweetness of this coming kingdom. So I, the pink spoon, love it. So I'm a movie guy. So I'm going to go with the movie trailer image. Um, but it works just the same. Like we do have an opportunity to be that trailer for the movie that looks so awesome. But here's my spin. You want to be that trailer you don't want to see, which gives away everything. You know what I mean? Like you watch a trailer and you're like, oh, well now I don't need to see the movie. I kind of got a sense of what that is. We're supposed to be that bad trailer. Like we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be such, such people who live with conviction about what the future is going to be that people know it. They get a sense. They might be intrigued. They might not know why. They might need to have some more information, but they see the way that we live together, the way that we are praying with one another, the way that we worship, the way that we're generous, the way that we have hope, and they need to feel it. They need to get it. They need to see it. And they need to, they need to want more. Because we, we together, through the power of the Spirit, have the opportunity to be that glimpse. We are not called to bring in the kingdom as if we could. The kingdom is not ours to bring in. The kingdom is ours to embody, bear witness to, reflect. That's what we can do, but we can do it. We have the spirit of God that helps us do it.
So it matters the way that we talk with one another. It matters the way that we give to each other. It matters the way that we present ourselves, not as the edited individuals we wish we were, but our full and complete selves before others. I know it's kind of funny, but I loved also in that video that people couldn't help but talk about nakedness. (laughs) Because there's some, yeah, I, Because there's something about this being completely open, right? The metaphor of being completely revealed before another is terrifying. But if we look at the garden and we think about new creation, there is no more reason to be terrified. I was talking with with a friend this week and we we were, oh, with Paul. And he was saying, wouldn't it be amazing if we could live this way? And I said, one day, come Lord Jesus, come. But may we now in the present at least fail in the right direction. We have the opportunity to fail in the right direction. And so the question as we think about this ending of the story that is authoritative for our lives as the church, the question is what future do we lean into? What future as the church are we leaning into? One that is marked by hope and newness and no more mourning, crying, pain, or death? Or are we leaning into a future that's completely foreclosed? The locust-eaten years will just keep on going. We have so many reasons to be cynics. The world gives us so many reasons. But the authoritative story of our lives, the story of scripture, the story that God is telling and continues to tell through the church, it's not a story of cynicism. It's a story of hope and possibility. And it's a story that we can lean into now. When we praise, when we worship, when we talk on the plaza, when we share, when we confess, when we lament, or when we share our joys, We're testifying to a world that is God's, that God will fully and one day redeem. That is the opportunity that we have before us, church, Grace Long Beach, to be that type of people, a restoration type of people, knowing that's where the story goes. We can live now in the present. It's already and it's not yet, and the not yet is hard and painful and difficult, but the already is amazing and good and wonderful and hopeful. And we have it, and we can do it together. What a gift that is. So this morning, as we continue in our worship, there's an opportunity to pray. There are gonna be people who wanna pray with you on the sides, and if, if you don't feel like you wanna muster up the energy or you don't, ha- you don't wanna risk moving to the sides that feels too vulnerable, maybe tap on the shoulder of somebody next to you and say, can you pray for me? I think there are a lot of reasons and a lot of ways that we can be praying. Perhaps you want to be a person who leans into that type of future. Ask God for the hope and the empowerment of the Spirit to do it. Perhaps you want to be people who are restored in one of these ways or multiple of these ways. You can't do it alone. You need the power of God through the Spirit to work. That is a way, that is a reason that you might then pray. So I'm gonna ask you all to stand I'm gonna ask those who who are going to be praying um, to move to the sides. I'd like to thank God for this space and then we'll continue in our worship. God, you are the one 
You are the God with an ending that is good and is whole and is new and is restored. God, I ask that you would give us a glimpse, a taste of that, that we might be pink spoon people, that we might be those movie trailers that lets the world know what your kingdom is like when all things are made new, when there is no more death, when there are no more tears, when there is no more reason to mourn or to cry or to be in pain. Help us as a church to embody that, to bear witness to that goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.